0: Welcome the Appalachian Folklore Podcast presents Stories from the Cabin, a storytelling podcast within a podcast featuring tales from the countries and cultures whose people make up the diverse region we know as Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobbitt. folks. Welcome to the December episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast presents Stories from the Cabin. Much like in October's episode on witches, I'm pulling from Patrick W. Gaynor's Witches, Ghosts, and Signs, Folklore of the Southern Appalachians. I've got a handful of not-too-spooky ghost stories, they're just more interesting and fun that I thought would fit festively for the holiday. There's not much else to say here other than I hope you enjoy From the chapter, Traditional Activities and Customs, Christmas. Among the Protestants living in the mountains in early days, and until the early years of this century, there was little celebration of Christmas. In England, the puritan influence caused Parliament to abolish the observance of Saint Days and the three grand festivals of Easter, Christmas, and Whitsuntide. The General Court of Massachusetts followed this example of the English Parliament in 1659 when it enacted that anybody who was found observing by abstinence from labor, feasting or any other way any such day as Christmas day shall pay for every such offence 5 shillings. Christmas celebrations were regarded as catholic and thus looked upon with disfavour by Protestants generally. Before electricity became common in every part of West Virginia, there were few house decorations, and not many people had Christmas trees. Children received few toys except those that were homemade. The village store sold firecrackers, toy cap pistols, and other noisemakers, so that Christmas became a day for much noisemaking. In the early days of this century, Christmas parties were sometimes given in the country schools on the last day of school before Christmas. In later years, not long before the First World War, Some communities set up a Christmas tree in one of the local churches or schoolhouse. People placed gifts on the tree for relatives and friends, and a local man wearing a Santa Claus costume took the gifts from the tree, reading the name of each recipient, who then was supposed to open the present before the whole gathering. These presents were frequently chosen to reveal something of the recipient's character and often caused much loud laughter. When people met on Christmas Day, they greeted each other with the phrase, "'Christmas gift!' and the one who spoke the greeting first was supposed to have good luck. In the counties of West Virginia east of the Allegheny Mountains, Christmas was celebrated by bell-snickling, a custom unknown to other parts of the state. This custom was brought into that part of the state by German people from Pennsylvania in the early part of the 18th century. The celebration started on Christmas Eve, when a small group disguised in costumes and masks started out under the leadership of old bell-snickle, to visit the homes in the community. Each home had a candle in the window to guide the visitors. Old Snickle would knock on the door, and the voice of the head of the family would ask from within, Who's there? Old Bellsnickel! The voice inside the house would then invite, Old Bellsnickel, come in! The door was then opened and all the visitors entered and lined up to be inspected by the members of the family, who tried to identify each visitor. Anyone who was correctly identified had to do a trick, which meant a performance of some kind, such as a song, dance, or some clever act. If the persons in the company could not be identified, the whole group was treated to good things to eat and drink. Of course, they were always treated, no matter what happened. As the group moved from one home to another, they would be joined by members of the last family visited, so that the group became larger as they moved from home to home. This Christmas celebration was later adapted in the Halloween celebration in Jefferson County, West Virginia, and from there it quickly spread over the entire country. It was called Trick or Treat, and still goes by that name. However, the original meaning of the word trick as some kind of performance soon changed to mean some kind of mischievous act. And now for some ghost tales. A Haunted House I was a-coming home one night after dark, and I saw the light in the kitchen. Well, I thought my wife was up yet. When I went in the house, no one was up, and my wife was in the bed asleep. One night, I heard cats a fighting, and I got up to put them out, but not a cat could be found. The hogs kept a-rootin' in the trough, and when I butchered them, they kept right on a-rootin' so that I could hear them of night. One night, I woke up, and the house was full of smoke. I jumped up, opened the doors and windows, and started to wake the rest of the family up. Suddenly, the smoke all left, and not a trace of fire could be found. I looked all over the house the next day, but I couldn't find a sign of the fire. Sometimes, I could hear water gurgling under the ground and it would move from place to place. I never was able to locate it. I saw a woman dressed in white who came near the house several times but never came in the house. Several years after I moved out of this house, I was taking care of a sick person at the next house below, and the third night I was there I saw the same woman dressed all in white. There was a brown stain on the floor in the kitchen of the haunted house. We tried a good many times to remove the stain but never would get off. When Uncle Joel Dobbins moved in there, he heard strange things. One night it sounded like someone putting a backlog on the fire, but he couldn't find anything out of place. Uncle Joe asked the Lord to show him what was the trouble. One evening he was sitting by the fire, and a little girl of about three years old laid her hand on his knee. When he took his eyes off her and then looked back, she was gone. One man said he heard a woman scream in the house one day as he was passing there. My grandmother, who lived about a mile above the haunted house, said that smoke came from the house and covered Oaky stump as he rode by. She said she kept her windows closed at night to keep out the smoke that came from this house. She said it had come in two or three times when she forgot to close her windows. The reason the house was haunted was that a man was supposed to have killed his wife and two children there. The story is that when he moved into the house, he had a wife and two children with him, but when he left, he was alone. No one ever found out what he did with them. The Ghost of the Jilted Girl A note from the author. One day in 1958, I visited Elliot Johnson in his home in Logan County. He had worked hard in the coal mines for many years. His voice was soft and mellow, and his eyes brightened as he told me of a frightful experience he had with a ghost. I had a ghost to haunt me once. She was a sweetheart of mine, but I didn't marry her. She wanted me to marry her. And after I married another girl, this sweetheart took poison and killed herself. And she haunted me so that I had to leave that house and come up here to live. She grabbed me in the bed. The first time she caught the sheet, grabbed it and pulled it. I woke up and tried to hold the sheet, but she pulled it out of my hand. I said, well, I'm going to stay in this house anyhow. It wouldn't come every night, but every other night. One night it came and caught me right here up under the throat and the back of the neck. Brother, she had a vice on me, and it looked like I couldn't get away at all. Finally, I ran in and got loose. Well, that night I said, I think I'll go upstairs, for I don't believe it will bother me up there. I went upstairs and someone says, boy, did you come up here? I said, yeah, I got lonesome down there. Well, the night after that, she came upstairs, but she didn't bother me. I heard the footsteps coming up the stairs. I turned the light on quick and I didn't see nothing, but she took all my clothes and I heard a sound like, and I said, all right. I went down the next morning a little before day and she went downstairs too. It sounded like someone rolling marbles down the stair. So I figured I'd get out of there. She couldn't come across a stream of water. So I moved up here and she ain't bothered me anymore since. The Woman Who Came Crying I had an uncle named Archie Armstrong who married a girl named Dean. They lived on a hill above Birch River some years ago. Uncle Archie's wife was my father's sister. A woman would come up around the house crying. The women would see the woman crying and so would Uncle Archie's boy, Chaney. But it had never come to Uncle Archie. He'd never seen it. One day, the baby got sick, and they wanted an onion to make a poultice to put on it. The girls were afraid to go to the garden to get the onion, for they were afraid they might see that woman who came crying. Chaney said, Come on now, I'll go get it, and if I see that thing, I'll knock it down. And he went out with the girls to get the onion, and here came that thing right up in their face, that woman who was crying. The girls got scared and broke to a run. One of them got in the house, and the other got to the front porch and fainted. And Cheney stood there and fought that thing till he got clear back to the house. But he said he couldn't hit anything. He said it was right there crying and making a noise. But he said there wasn't a thing there when he'd strike with his fist. One night after that, some of them went out on the porch. And this woman came up there crying up next to the porch. And they called, Now, Archie, come here and see it. It's right here in the yard. So he got up and went out to the porch and there it was. The woman standing there crying. And he watched that a little bit then turned right around, went back into the house, and fell across the bed, and they never got him up out of that bed that night. The next morning he got up and began tearing his house down, and he tore his house down and moved it down onto Birch River. The Vengeful Ghost of the Murdered Girl Note from the author One summer afternoon in 1958, I sat with Bird Cook on the porch of his home on Horse Creek, Raleigh County, as he told me the story of the girl who was murdered by her rival in love and how the ghost of the murdered girl remained on earth until she got revenge. The story is told in Mr. Cook's own language. Note from the storyteller. Sorry, not sorry, if I get a little country. One time there was two girls lived in our neighborhood. One of them was my aunt, and one of them was a guno girl And they got to talking to a boy, and this guno girl was a getting the best of the cook girl. That was my aunt, you know. So my aunt just fixed up a little bit of chicken and dumplings and took it over to her sister's house where this gun girl was a staying and told the balance of the family not to eat none of that chicken and dumplings. Well, this Guno girl, she ate a bit of it. In about five or six hours, she commenced to getting sick, and she got to vomiting and throwing up. And you never seen anybody get as sick as she did. And in about three days, she died. Well, they had a big trial over it. The courts was pretty scarce then. We just had a justice of the peace court out in the hill where we lived. And so they lawed around there about that, and this man, whose name was Everett Wiley, a boy from this country, he was witnessing it. When this gun girl died, Wiley quit the cook girl and had nothing to do with her. So this cook girl got married to another fellow in a short time after that. And this here girl she'd killed, this gun old girl, why she'd come of a night, get on her and choke her. Choke her prime nearly to death. He never heard such a time they had. She couldn't see nothing, but she'd just choke the life right out of her, and her man couldn't sleep with her on account of it. Then this cook girl married another feller, and she couldn't stay with him neither. Later on, my brother moved in this house where the woman lived, where the poison was taken in. But before he moved in, me and him went up there one night together. We intended to keep Batch for a time. The first night, we built up a big fire in the house. We didn't have no light, just a pine torch or something like that. Way in the night, we was just dozing off to sleep when something hit the side of the house. We had a big pile of wood piled up by the fireplace, and that just scattered all over the floor. Well, it scared the life right out of us, and we didn't know what to think. My brother says to me, what do we do? I says, let's get out of here. I would never go back to that house after that. But he got married and him and his wife moved in there, and that would come in all kinds of forms. When there was a big snow on the ground, it would come just like cows walking. You've heard cattle walking through the snow and their feet screeking under the snow. He'd think the cows got in the lot, and he'd get out there to put them out and he couldn't see tracks or nothing. There'd come a sound like they'd poured a bushel of walnuts on the house, and he'd hear them roll off and hit the ground around the house. He'd go out there and couldn't see a thing in the world. Now, it'd come in all kinds of shapes, too, you know. He could hear a sound in the kitchen like a person vomiting, and it got so that he couldn't sleep and couldn't enjoy life. And that house got burned up, and he never did hear tell of it anymore. Nobody knows what started the fire, but I believe it was just so willed to be. It was a pretty bad tale, if you get the whole details of it. When two girls fall out over a man and one poisons the other, you know, that's pretty bad. I believe it would be a good lesson to have that published. It would teach young girls not to do things like that. And there you have it. Thanks again for stopping by this month and listening to stories from the cabin. I hope y'all have a wonderful holiday season. I will have a bonus episode on Christmas Eve and a new episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast on January 1st. Until then, happy holidays and y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to like, review, and subscribe to this show on whichever platform you use, I'd greatly appreciate it as it helps spread the word. And after all, isn't that what folklore is about? You can find the Appalachian Folklore Podcast on social media at App Folklore Pod. You can also email me with questions, comments, corrections, stories, recipes, etc., at app folklorepod at gmail.com. And you can visit my website, showsacastcom AFP. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the Appalachian Folklore Podcast cover art. The intro music is Stillness by Rivio. The outro music is I Can See the Sky by All Sever Lake. You can find all citations to the references mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.